Rahim. Please be seated. Hi, my name's Shell, and I'm going to be reading the Bible tonight. We're going to be reading Colossians 1, 13 to 20. In the Pew Bibles, it's 1,829. So I'll just give you a second to find that. From verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, for that in everything he might have the supremacy." For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, thanks, Michelle. G'day, everyone. Uh, ben Gray is my name. I'm one of the ministers here at All Saints. Uh, Stay in Colossians 1, that's our passage that we're looking at from the Bible tonight. Uh, As Adam and Jocelyn have mentioned, we're starting a new series at the beginning of the year. We've placed the banner over uh, our whole year, the banner of heartbeat, and uh, one of the ways I've been talking about that is that we want our hearts to beat in tune with God's, that we want to love what He loves, Uh, we want the things that God loves to be the things that we love and that drive us forward as a church, that undergird uh, our mission and ministry. Uh, We have a prayer that we're praying uh, as a church, asking that God would uh, do this for us. You'll see it up on the screen. Uh, This prayer from Romans 15. We're praying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And believing that God will answer that prayer when we pray in faith, uh, we want to be a cross-generational missionary family of people here who are connected in chaotic kind of discipling relationships in order that we might overflow with hope to the nations and to our neighbours and to the next generation. And if God answers that prayer and if we might be built into that kind of missionary family as a church, as as a a motley crew of people gathered together, uh, what are the things that we need to have energising us, driving us together in order that that mission and ministry might happen among us? That's what the next four weeks are about. Because we've kind of taken the book of Colossians as our membership manual and we worked through it together last year. But that's kind of the membership manual of what we think it looks like to belong to a church, the book of Colossians. And we broke it down to four big values, four big loves uh, that we want to drive and energise and to move 
our church forward. And that's what we're thinking about the next four weeks. So why don't we pray and ask for God to help us and then we'll, we'll get after it in the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray as we look at this incredible picture of Jesus in Colossians 1, uh, that we would know something more of him, that we would see something more of him, that we might indeed share in your love for him and as a result we would love him as our supreme Lord of creation and our sufficient Lord of reconciliation. We ask that you do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, I was eating an ice cream sandwich yesterday afternoon and as I ate it, I wondered to the ice cream sandwich, what makes you so worthy of my affections? Uh, because it was receiving an awful lot of my affection. That's the sort of question preachers ask themselves on a Saturday afternoon. Um, because when we love someone or something, there's usually something in them or in that that makes them worthy of our love, worthy of our affections, that attracts us to them. For this ice cream, it was worthy of my affection, the comfort of its taste, the relief of its temperature, the satisfaction of its texture, just the right amount of biscuit with just the right amount of ice cream, though maybe not the right amount, I could have eaten 10. What we're thinking about is so much more important than that. What makes Jesus worthy of our affections? What makes him worthy of our love? And not just the love that you have, like, for an ice cream sandwich, but as the supreme love and greatest treasure in the universe as the thing that, as the person that we ought to love above every other person and every other thing in the world. What makes Jesus worthy of our love? That's what we want to think about as the biggest love, the highest love, the ultimate reality of the universe is the love of Jesus and therefore love for Jesus. Uh, listen and look up on the screen to see how Jesus prayed for you, if you're a Christian, on the night before he died. He prayed this for you and for me, if we're a Christian. He said this, he said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. Isn't that an extraordinary prayer that Jesus prayed for us? And the thing that he says is that, that the most foundational reality in the universe is the indivisible union of love between the Father and the Son in the fellowship of the Spirit for all eternity, before any, anything else existed in the universe, before any atoms had come together 
before anyone had taken a breath, before anything had grown, before anything, before a cloud had rained, before the sun had shone, before a star had come into existence, there was the love of the Father for the Son in the Spirit. And the reason that this world exists, the reason that God created the world, it was out of the overflow of that love. It was so that we might know something of that love. That the love the Father had for the Son before the creation of the world might be that love that is in us. So that our lives might be directed and energised and focused upon that most foundational reality of the whole universe, which is the love of the Father for the Son by the Spirit. And it's that love that overflowed to create the world and to make us in His image that we might enjoy Him forever. It is that love that then took on flesh to come into the world, to redeem the world that He loves. It's that love that continues to be poured out into our hearts in order that more and more people might enjoy Him forever. Being a Christian is about participating in that most ultimate love, sharing in it, knowing it, enjoying it. I make you known, Jesus prays, so that the love you have for me may be in them. The most foundational love that brought this world into existence, Jesus wants to share with you, to be in you, to change and to motivate, to energise your heart, to comfort you, to reassure you and to direct you to the hope of eternal life in his perfect kingdom. We want our hearts to beat in tune with God's, to love what He loves. The first place you have to start is the first place He starts. The love that He has for the Son. That's the love that we want to have in us and drive us forward. This is how it's said in Colossians 1, if you look at verse 13. For for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see what it means to be a Christian? It means being brought from the dominion of darkness and death into the kingdom of light and life. Except it doesn't say that, does it? From the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son who is the radiance of the glory of God, who the book of Revelation says replaces the sun in the new creation because we don't need a sun because the glory of the sun will light up the world. So brilliant and amazing is the Lord Jesus. Being a Christian is all about being rescued, taken from sin and death and brought to light and life in the kingdom of the sun he loves. How? Well, through the redemption that is the forgiveness of sins. So, when we think about loving Jesus as a church, having that as the most foundational reality and driving force and motivating factor of our life together, 
Do you see that it means we're not simply a community with a common interest like a sporting club? And we're not just a charity that does good things with a common purpose. And we're not anything like a business that brings people together for the common benefit of remuneration or material blessing. That's not why we're here. We're here for ultimate reality. We're here for the very reason that we were made in the first place, that this world exists for the love of the Father, for the Son, by the Spirit. And it's in the love of Jesus and love for Jesus as the ultimate foundation of all reality that means that's where, that's where we find the perfection of our own humanity, that's where we find the realisation of all our hope, that is where we find the location of our identity, as Andrew already said, that is where we find the completion of all our longings and the rightful direction of all our desires. All the desires of our heart that long for connection and belonging and love and home and hope and peace and security and strength, they're all rightfully directed to Jesus, the Son He loves. He is worthy of our highest and widest and deepest love. That begins to answer the question, but what else does Colossians 1 say about why Jesus is worthy of our highest and widest and deepest love? Well, here's two points. That was a longer introduction than anticipated, but two points. He's worthy of our love because he is the supreme Lord of creation. He is worthy of our love because he is the sufficient Lord of reconciliation. He is the supreme Lord of creation. You can't get any closer to God than you have in Jesus. Your affections can't go higher. He's the sufficient Lord of reconciliation. He's done everything you need to be reconciled to the God of the universe who loves you and made you. There's nothing more you can contribute or add. Your affections can't go wider or deeper. The supreme Lord of creation, the sufficient Lord of reconciliation. Have a look back at verse 15 in chapter 1, where we see this spectacular portrait of Jesus and the extraordinary features of his person and work. And notice as we read it again, how often uh, Paul talks about he or in him, how every verse begins that way, he or in him. Look uh, with me at verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see how it starts? He's the image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us no one's ever seen God. The one who makes the invisible God clearly visible, that is Jesus. When the God of the universe takes on flesh, we see him in the person of the Lord Jesus, revealing to all the world what God's goodness and love looks like. So that if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at what Jesus is like. And the reality is there's nothing more that you need to know or look for in God than you have in Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells bodily in the person of the Lord Jesus. And this is super important for the Colossian Christians and I think for you and me, I think we have the same temptations and the same pressures that this first century church was facing. Why does Paul paint this picture of this extraordinary reality of who Jesus is? Because the voices around this first century church were just like the voices around our church and in our world that say, well... I think Jesus is fine, but you need something more. Sure, Jesus is good, but you need something better. Sure, Jesus is nice, but here is something more exciting. Here is someone more satisfying. And so we're receiving this passage and this picture of Jesus as Paul's kind of elevated way of saying, more? Something more than Jesus? Better? You're looking for something better than this? Have you seen Jesus? Do you know who you're talking about? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Because if you truly did, you would surely see that there is nothing more than all the fullness of God dwelling bodily in him. There is nothing better than him reconciling you to the creator of the universe. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing the one by whom and for whom you were created, who makes sense of all your longings, who is the completion and perfection of all your humanity and who died for your sins and lives that you might have life and hope in his name. There's nothing more that you need than Jesus. So the way that we've talked about it before is to say we don't want anything more than Jesus. We just want to keep digging into the Bible that we might have more of Jesus. That we might know him better and better. That we might see him more clearly and love him more dearly. He is the firstborn over all creation. And if uh, maybe you're a middle child you're a middle child just give me a wink and I can see you I have a look about them these middle children middle children will tell you that the firstborn is the most important 
Middle children will definitely tell you that the firstborn is first in rank, that they get the say, the authority. And that's the case with Jesus. First in rank, with all authority over all creation, of closest relationship to the Father, and so supremely able to reflect God's goodness, supremely able to make the invisible God clearly and powerfully visible to the world. He has first place over all creation. Do you notice how Paul captures it? In him all things were created, things on he- in heaven and on earth, things that were visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things created through him and for him. There is a, a completeness to Jesus, anything more than Jesus better than Jesus. He is the firstborn over heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers or authorities, all created by him, all created for him. And that means that if he is over all things and if he is the Lord and the firstborn who created all things by him and for him, that means that that includes us. as the firstborn with the, the, the highest rank, as the one who made all things by his powerful word and for his good and perfect purposes, that means he has a claim on you. He knows what is, what is best for you. His way of living will always be your best shot at living. And he does so with such love and care. To paraphrase an old saying from Abraham Kuyper, there is no square inch of the universe or human existence over which Jesus doesn't cry, mine. He is the one who makes sense of our lives. It's always going to be the best and right way to live under his loving rule and care. In him all things hold together and will be brought to their goal, the goal that is his, wrapped up and completed in him. He brought it, the universe, into existence. He will bring the universe to completion. What I love about that is that in Jesus we can look back and see where we have in the new creation. So that's the wonderful picture in Colossians 1. Jesus, the firstborn over all creation who made all things by him and for him, but he is also the firstborn from among the dead. Firstborn of creation, firstborn of new creation. He will continue to rule in the new creation that he is make, where he is making all things new, where there will be no more mourning, crying, uh, death or pain. No more sin. We enjoy good coffee that brought calm to a stressful house. Standing on the ferry, we marvelled at the displacement of water as the ferry cut through the harbour and didn't even sink. We soaked in the beauty of our city from close up and from far away. We were struck by the spectacular variety of animals, the uniqueness of the platypus, the grandeur of the giraffe, the majesty of the eagle. 
We enjoyed a spectacular sunset. We were satisfied by a hot meal and a glass of wine. All shared in loving relationship. All designed and given by Jesus to be a reflection of his greatness, to be thanks and praise. That's great, Ben, but that's not my experience. Certainly not the experience of the malnourished in East Africa. Certainly not the experience today for those watching their homes and loved ones washed away in floods in Auckland. It's remarkable, isn't it? We can have moments of such beauty and enjoyment and satisfaction in this world and yet we can look around or we experience ourselves. We know all too well from up close the fact that this world is not right and that everything isn't, isn't good and as it's meant to be. That so often the beauty and goodness of creation is exchanged for pain and chaos that God's purposes in creation are frustrated and futile. We feel, we see, we hear the world groaning under the weight of sin and death, our bodies groaning under the weight of sin and death, longing to be set free by the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. Because the one who is Lord over all creation, the supreme Lord, who created all things by him and for him and all the goodness and beauty that we see are meant to be a reflection of his goodness and beauty in the midst of a world that rejected him and therefore is frustrated and chaotic and painful, that Supreme Lord stepped in and took on flesh. That Supreme Lord who's worthy of all glory and honour and power is the one who said, I will suffer. I will be alienated from God. I will take the darkness of your sin and judgment and death in my body on the cross in order that the goodness and beauty that you've tasted in this life might be perfected and completed in the life that is to come. Jesus said, Let that pain, that estrangement, that brokenness, that fear, those failures, your sin, God's judgment, let that fall on me in my body on the cross so that all those hints of goodness and truth and beauty you might know now in reality and in the future in all its fullness the supreme Lord of creation, sufficient Lord of reconciliation, God by alien of humanity, but steps into it to bear peace through his blood shed on the cross. We were standing at Circular Quay and we were kind of underneath one of those ridiculous passenger cruise ships. Uh, It's just gigantic. Never been on one, and I don't think I want to. You can change my mind afterwards.
Uh, as we were standing under this cruise ship, naturally we started talking about the Titanic and comparing the Titanic's relative size to this beast and wondering again at how they don't sink. <laughs> it's a bit of a theme for me tonight. And I feel like the Titanic, as we were thinking about it, is still one of those head-scratching incidents in history that you kind of shake your head at. And I feel like in the Titanic you have this little snapshot of the whole world alienated from God, the sinking result of human pride. You see this marvel of engineering and creativity you see good food and nice clothes and amazing music and beautiful views and the, the hope of new worlds amongst all the classism, amongst all the racism. Not everyone was enjoying good food on the Titanic. But then when it sinks... You just see human selfishness and pride. 1,600 people sitting in the water, that freezing water, and they couldn't get into lifeboats. Out of 1,600 people in the water, how many did they get into the rescue boats from the water? 13. 18 half-empty lifeboats. The darkness and despair of people being broken, you know, broke, being cut off from relationships, the ugliness of class systems that equate human worth with material worth, the inhumanity of selfishness that we're rescuing. It's a little picture of our world. And in that, Jesus comes and he takes the loneliness of death, he takes the punishment of sin, he takes the abandonment of judgment, cut off and adrift in order that we might be rescued. Despite our sin and selfishness, despite our fears and failures, it's that he reaches in and rescues us. Not because we're lovely, but because he loved us. That we might be reconciled to him and that we might, as he prayed on the night before, he took all that in his body on the cross, that we might know the love of them. That we might be reconciled to the God who loves us. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from sin and death, and brought us into the kingdom of light and life. What is that kingdom? It's the kingdom of the Son, Jesus, whom God loves. It's in him that we have the forgiveness of our sins. So we want to love Jesus. Above all else, that's what he died for. That's what he deserves.
We want the love of Jesus and love for Jesus to drive and direct our life together. And as you consider that prayer that Jesus prayed on the night before he died, that he might keep revealing the Father to the world and that the love the Father has for the Son might be in us, we say a massive yes, please, to that prayer. So I'm going to pray and ask that God might do that for us. Let's pray together. Jesus prayed, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Lord Jesus, do this for us.